Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 414 of the podcast. It is May 18th, 2021. My guest today is Ryan Weiss. He is the president of his firm, Effective Performance Strategies. We're going to be talking about a number of things, including uh, training within industry methodology. How is he modernizing TWI in different ways? We're going to talk about this equation of purpose plus people plus process equals performance. We're going to talk about training leaders. We're also going to talk a little bit about barbecue, but that's not the main thing. If you want to find links to everything that Ryan does, you can go to leanblog.org slash 414. Please follow, rate, and review. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend via email, social media, especially LinkedIn. That'll help spread the word about our great guests. Thanks again. We're joined today by Ryan Weiss. He is the president of Effective Performance Strategies. Their website is epszone.com. So Ryan, thanks for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's uh, really a pleasure to be on your show. We appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well, sure thing. I'm excited about the conversation. Um, your 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 web address is making me think. Do you remember the old ESPN Zone restaurants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some people have mentioned that before. They're like, that's pretty close to ESPN Zone, but uh, I don't even think those are open anymore. Are they? I think I, those I think are all. Uh, no, you you have outlasted ESPN zones for being <laughs> for being the worldwide leader in sports. They were not the worldwide leader in sports bars, as it turned out. That's right. I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact we're going to outlast them. That's a, that's a, that's a great accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then one other thing I wanted to ask you about it on the, uh, on the web, on LinkedIn, it says you are also the pit chief. So, yeah. So <laughs> actually that. one of our, one of my business partners in, in all of this, he, um, he's actually a colleague going back uh, probably 15 years ago now in the chemical industry. And he told me that when he retired, his goal was to do barbecue team building events. And uh, so one of the things we did was I've actually bought a big 24 foot barbecue trailer. We've got all these Rectech smokers and um, Milwaukee tool chests that uh, with all the tools and seasonings. So unfortunately, our timing on this was terrible. Uh, we did it about two years ago. We had some great events. It was some great publicity, things like that. But uh, when COVID hit, they, you know, people just kind of stopped wanting to do team building and getting together. But, uh, you know, people tell me there's going to be some pent up demand for this uh, coming back out of this. So I have not sold the trailer. We've, I'm still barbecuing on weekends. And uh, so the Denny, my colleague in this, he won the, um, it was the, the uh, pork on the uh, Jim Beam Classic a couple years back. I mean, he's, oh. he's into barbecue. Okay. And uh, so when he retired, uh, I bought this trailer and all this equipment and big party tents and stuff to basically to, to, you know, do these things in a way that is engaging and fun. I think, you know, PowerPoint training. Um, and of course we've all been doing zoom training and stuff for the past uh, year right. uh, can, can get a bit challenging, but when we bring some life into it, bring something interesting, that's what uh, we try to do. So, yeah. Well, I, I do love barbecue. And between that and the ESPN, ESPN zone talk, it's before lunch for me. So I'm regretting even bringing up any of this. But um, I was going to say, though, uh, as far as barbecue comments, you know, being in Texas, when you order brisket, you get the choice. Do you want uh, either they'll call it moist or fatty or lean? I like my organization's lean. I do not like my brisket lean. That's right. I, I would agree with you hundred percent on that. Absolutely. Life's too short. Got to eat. Uh, I'm not afraid of the fat. So <laughs> that's right. So barbecue is not the most lean activity of all, right? But uh, there's, there's like value added work that happens a day in advance. And then, you know, there's value added work that happens right before you eat, but there's a lot of waiting time in there, right? That's yeah. uh that's, that's definitely one of the challenges of barbecue, but to make it really good that, uh, you got to have some patience with it. So, well, maybe, you know, there are lessons because like you think of like, you know, cooking low and slow, like that is a very long value adding process. And if you were to try to speed it up, I'm like, well, let me cook the brisket faster at a higher temperature. 
quality. There's no quality there. It, it just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've, you've got to give it time to, uh, to break down the, uh, the tissue and all that to, uh, um, you know, to, to get the texture right. And um, so it is, I mean, and, you know, there is a, there is an amount of sort of, you know, these, these new smokers that the, the pellet smokers and things mm-hmm. like that keep the consistency of the temperature so much better. Uh, you know, there's still people who really love the stick burners and things like that, yeah. but, uh, but you get more variation in temperature, you get more, you have more risk there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of elements of this that, um, you know, thinking about the voice of your customer, what, you know, does your customer like spicy? Do they like sweet? You know, what are they, what do they like? There's a, there's a lot that goes into it. So we have a lot of fun with it when we can do it. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, you know, our, our, our real intent today was to talk about, uh, more direct lean topics and the work that Ryan does and, and focusing, we're going to take a deeper dive into the TWI or training within industry methodology. But before we get into that, maybe kind of step back more uh, more broadly, Ryan, I always like to ask guests, you know, how did you get introduced to lean? If you can tell us a little bit of your career story and where where lean became part of that. Sure, uh, I appreciate it. So yeah, going back about uh, over, well, it's been over 20 years ago now when I first started into the chemical industry and uh, about a year and a half or two years into my role in a technical services type role where I was troubleshooting and doing things like that, they selected me, the organization I was with selected me to come through what they were calling Lean Six Sigma at the time uh, training. And so I went through the first round of that that they did. And um, and I would say I, I kind of fell in love with it, right? The, um, the, the whole concept of how you uh, take waste out of a system. How do you, um, you know, how do you look at a process and, and really streamline it? And but then, how do you engage people in it? It became really fascinating to me. Uh, so I, on on the front page of our website today, it says there's an equation that says purpose plus people plus process equals performance. And um, and you know, so if I think back on my journey, I I got my degree in chemistry and finance. So I'm as process oriented as you can get, right? I mean, there's there are probably not that many people who have chemistry and finance degrees. Um, so I'm very process oriented, and that's where I started my career. Was thinking the world's problems can be solved through process. But as I got into that, I, as I got introduced to lean and started understanding more about the people part of it, it started to become more and more clear that. Yes, you can create an ideal process, but if people don't buy into it, if people aren't supportive, if people aren't uh, engaged in it, right? If they if they don't have their voices heard, then then you really can't drive performance. And uh, and that's what led me to that final piece, the purpose part, which is you know how do you explain to people why we need to change, right? Why do we need to do something different than they're doing it today? And, um, and that's what really can change people's habits and behaviors. So that's really where that equation cr- comes from is uh, my history with, you know, how I progressed through it. So I tell people I progressed through it backwards, right? I didn't come to this aha moment of, you know, what lean was all about until I started understanding that it's not just about process. It's about people and it's about convincing and influencing people to change. So, yeah. Well, I, I can see where, yeah, if any, I love that equation because if any of those parts are missing, um, you, you have a huge problem. I mean, I think of, you know, chemistry and finance, you could also describe those as being like very analytical mm-hmm. fields, uh, technical fields. But, um, you know, for, I think of um, John Shook and, and others from their Toyota experiences who talk about socio-technical systems and how that has to go hand in hand. So it's good that you had, um, like, was there a particular epiphany or was there more of an evolution, Ryan? You know, there, there actually, so there actually was one time, um, it was ac- after um, September 11th, right? I, September 11th, I was on an airplane to, uh, uh, to Minneapolis, Minnesota. But for, uh, if you sort of remember that, you know, 2000, was it 2001, right? For, right. for quite a while after that, um, I was driving everywhere, right? We weren't flying for a while. And uh, and I was driving from Kansas City to Indianapolis. And I'm a, I'm a little bit of a geek, right? So I was listening to some books on CD. And I was listening to uh, uh, the story of 
the American Revolutionary War. And, um, and as I was listening to it, and as I was thinking about that, um, that rallying cry that we all learned about as youngsters, the taxation without representation, uh, I started really thinking about how clear that was in any of the projects that I worked on. That um, if we changed a process without engaging the right people, without engaging the right stakeholders, um, what we were doing is basically putting a tax on them, saying, hey, you're going to do something a different way uh, because I said so, right? Because yeah. the data tells us to do this. Or, well, it's kind of or, the, uh, tyranny. Know. The word tyranny comes to mind even. <laughs> that, that's right. And so so I really, that, that stuck with me for, I don't know, was it 20 years now that uh, taxation without representation started the American Revolutionary War it sure as life can kill any project that I'm working on, right? And um, and so that's that's really where the people side started to hit home to me when I made that connection, and uh, it, it started to become really interesting. So yeah, so taxation without representation is a problem. You could also say kaizen without participation. There you go, <laughs> is a problem if you're if you're forcing change on people. Um, yeah, so. We focus on not just uh, the process or the technical, we focus on the people and the social. Um, can you talk more about the purpose part of that equation of purpose plus people plus process equals performance? Yeah, so um, yeah, I appreciate that question because I think that becomes really the core of changing performance, right? So per- people plus process, right? People plus process is really about the habits that you have. If you sort of think about that cue, action, reward sort of habit cycle that you're in, people plus process really sort of defines that. And um, and so I, I sometimes give this example at the beginning of COVID. So if we go back almost a year ago today, um, I weighed almost 20 pounds more than I do today. And it was when COVID first hit and I was sitting at home in my lazy boy starting to you know, do more virtual online stuff and not traveling so much. And my wife said, you know, um, you need to get more healthy. And um, I've got some type two diabetes in my family and mm-hmm. things like that. And she yeah, said, yeah, so do I. Yeah. And, and so that was, that was a moment where, um, you know, she started told me, right, you need to get healthier. You need to do something different. And up until that point, I just kept putting on more and more weight every year, right? I was traveling a lot for work and just going to restaurants and doing the things that I did. And I was neglecting my health. And there were times when I thought, yeah, you know what? I need to get healthier. I want to get healthier, but I wasn't doing it. And uh, so sort of at the beginning of COVID when that, you know, my habit was disrupted. My, I, I was still the same person, right? My process had been disrupted. And I, had a, and I had sort of a choice to make, right? I could either sit in my lazy boy and just keep eating as much as I wanted to. And, uh, and that probably wouldn't have turned out so well. Or I could look at sort of the bigger purpose of, you know, who am I as a person? How healthy do I want to be? What does this mean? And that's where purpose comes in. When our habit gets disrupted, um, whether it's the people or the process, that gets disrupted, right? People are no longer following their same routine, um, if you want to improve performance, you have to understand why and you have to tie that together. So that's kind of a story I like to tell people about, you know, you know, when, when habits get disrupted, it can get better or it can get worse. And that's really, you know, why are you, why is it important to you, right? Why do you do the things you do when you come back to that core? It can, it can help make that decision for you uh, about which direction you go. Yeah, and uh, I I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, we can all think about that from a personal perspective, but I think there are good parallels to an organization. We can ask an organization, how healthy do you want to be and for what reason? And what's that underlying purpose and thinking of, I mean, I think there are strong parallels to the idea of, you know, lean for an organization is not a quick fix. It is not uh, a pill. It is not uh, a surgery. There's a time and a place for, you know, I know somebody who had weight loss surgery and you know, there was good benefit to that, but you can also think of lean as uh, adopting a new lifestyle. That's right. And I agree 100% from the, from the organizational perspective, organization. And I think this is becoming more important today than ever before in my career. The, the purpose of an organization and um, the vision and values of organizations 
um, has become increasingly important uh, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, everything from attracting and hiring good employees and, and retaining good employees to uh, whether or not uh, people buy from you and, you know, you have customers to even in some cases, whether or not suppliers will supply you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think the, um, as we look at society today, as we look at some of these challenges and social movements and things like that, um, people have their, their voices and they want to be heard. And we're seeing organizations of all sizes really, um, you know, think about their core purpose, right? What are we here for? Sustainability, you know, all of those types of things, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, everything, mm-hmm. um, because they want to make sure that they're uh, sending the right message to all of the stakeholders. And, and I think that that purpose um, is, is really a foundational thing um, in, in terms of where people are going with that. Yeah, I think and a lot of that we, we could also connect to uh, the principle of respect for people. That's right. And a- there's, there's the purpose of the company for the long term. And um, if, I don't know if it's not purpose, it's certainly an, uh, an important part of the equation. So again, I, that comes back to people. That's so we'll right. say purpose plus people plus process. That's right. Um, so, so Ryan, you know, we're going to take a deeper dive today into some of the work you've done with and, and related to the TWI methodology, training within industry. And, you know, people have been listening to the podcast um, for a long time, going back uh, 15 years and, and 400 plus episodes. Uh, I did an episode 196 with Jim Hunsinger about what is TWI. Did an episode that same year, 202, with Patrick Grout talking about TWI in healthcare. And then uh, 2018, episode 314, Skip Stewart and Brandon Brown were talking about uh, TWI and Toyota Kata, <clears throat> excuse me, in um, healthcare. Um, so I invite people to go back and, and find those episodes and, and, and there's some of that other context uh, from that. So problems with my voice aside, Ryan, um, uh, what, you know, so, uh, you know, a lot of people through their practice of lean or lean six Sigma don't get taught about TWI. So I guess first question for you is how did you get exposed to it? And maybe in answering that, if you can kind of give your elevator pitch version of, of what is TWI. Yeah. So uh, oh, I appreciate the question. So the, uh, so I actually got first exposed to it through a customer. Uh, there was a client of mine who, um, who asked me if I could help them to modernize TWI. And, uh, and my first, my first you know, response was, of course, right. Let's, um, but what does that really mean? Right. And I started, uh, so as I started digging in and learning more about it and you can sort of already tell, right. I've, I've enjoyed learning about history, right? I referenced the Revolutionary War or things like that. Um, so I, I went into it sort of with my eyes open, thinking, um, what can I learn from the 1940s, right? That's when TWI was really developed and created. And I thought, that's a long time ago. The world was very different then. Um, you know, even if we look at uh, some of the movements that are going on today in, in society, you know, we might even ask some question, right? Why would we go and study the 1940s? But, but what I found was there were some really great fundamental foundational things about uh, the TWI taught that, uh, the, that really lay a good foundation, a solid foundation for the lean stuff that I was learning about and implementing and engaging with clients on. So, uh, so it was a client who asked me to, to do some modernization, to think about modernization of it. And, uh, and I started going down this path. And the more that I dug in, the more intriguing parallels I found and the, the more uh, foundational stuff that I found that I saw my clients struggling with. And, uh, and by that, I mean, so in the 1940s, women were first coming into the workforce. This was when the Rosie the Riveter and, um, and diversity was starting to happen in the workforce. And some of the examples they provided back then uh, really w- wouldn't fly today in organizations um, in, in terms of how they spoke and things like that. But so there was some modernization of language that was needed, but there was also an element of, uh, you know, how do we, um, how do we manage, how do we speak with diversity in our organization? And, and that was a core principle. 
so there was this what what they called job relations, and and we call it performance leadership, but it it's sort of the uh, job relations. How do you communicate? How do you lead? How do you interact? Well, if we skip forward to 2020, we've got you know Generation Z coming into the workforce, and they've got very different perspectives than most of the hiring managers do about how things are done. And um, so so I started digging into those things and starting learning about parallels and and where we were going with it. And I found a lot of really fascinating fundamental stuff on how to train, how to engage people in improving, and how to lead and communicate um, those three pillars. And I, I see a lot of organizations struggling even with those basic fundamental things today. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the, the pillars of job instruction, job methods, job relations, um, mm-hmm. there is a lot of really timeless helpful practice there around, for example, how to define and write standard work, and maybe more importantly, how to effectively train people, hence training within industry. It's not called documentation right. within <laughs> That's industry. Right. There's more uh, to be done there. and um, So there's a lot that's timeless, but um, I, I haven't looked at some of this very closely in a while. Can, can you think of some examples of, of what needed updating? I can imagine there were a lot of references to he. Yeah. But what, what, what are some of the examples that you were asked to help modernize? Yeah. So in the original, um, you know, 10-hour sessions, one of the things that they, one of the examples was something along the lines of, I'm not going to be able to do it word for word, but that, uh, you know, Bob was called into his manager's office and told Susie is going to join your team. And he said, well, she can't join my team. She's a woman and she's emotional and, um, you know, women are emotional and, and they can't lift heavy things. Right. Well, that, that's, that, I mean, it was a very different culture in the 1940s. Right. So I'm not proposing we go back to the 1940s. Uh, but, but, you know, so some of that had to really be modernized and, and thought through, what does sort of the diversity, equity, and inclusion look like today? How do you change some of those examples and um, and do it in a more effective way that um, that works in the in the culture of 2020? Um, because the principles that, that they taught, right? They they were teaching that um, that supervisor how to overcome some of that, right? They were, mm-hmm. they, that was the that was the concept there, but you couldn't use that. You can't use that language today, right? You can't give that and, and use that as a foundational example. Um, so going through and taking the um, the fundamentals of how they were transforming to uh, include that diversity back then and say, all right, that, you know, similar stuff still applies today. Um, there were, there were a lot of interesting things that I, that I learned along my journey of, you know, in reading, you know, you mentioned Patrick Graup, you know, reading his book and um, or one of his books and, you know, going through some of that was really, uh, really eye-opening for me, and uh, you know, brought some some interesting insights and perspectives. Yeah, and um, yeah, Patrick's book um, is worth looking at. I'll, I'll put links to those other episodes that I mentioned um, in the show notes. People want to go click and check those out, and the show notes for those episodes will include references to to the book. So, um, in in that scenario that that you talked about, uh, you know the the man's concern about the woman coming into the department that could be updated where let's say somebody has concern. The concern could be based off of, well, they don't have experience in our department or like we're, we're bringing someone into, you know, it could be based on something that has nothing to do with gender or race or ability or you know, disability or in any other dimension like that and, and come up with examples that aren't, um, going to be cringeworthy or worse offensive, I guess. That, that, that's absolutely right. And, um, and, and thinking about, you know, because we do, we do interact differently today, right? I mean, so even, you know, but I remember when I started at the, at my first job out of college, there was a, a gentleman who, uh, you know, called a couple of us into his office and said, don't send me emails, right? Um, you know, I don't, I don't do emails, come in and talk to me, right? And, uh, and my kids say, well, you know, don't send me emails because that's, you know, so early 2000s. So, <laughs> so I mean, 
the world of communication has transformed immensely as well. And so making sure we've got some of those, you know, new ways of communicating and, and things like that in there, but there's still also some real benefit of, um, you know, things like I've, I've done exercises and I include exercises with um, clients about having them handwrite a thank you card. And uh, if you think about when was the last time you received a handwritten thank you note from somebody, um, and it doesn't happen that often. So it can be, it actually, I've seen it bring tears to people's eyes, right? We actually did this with a, a trucking company a few weeks ago. And uh, and I actually saw some people's eyes getting a little bit moist when they handed that thank you card to the person next to them and, um, and thanked them for something. So we don't want to give up on the old school technology. In fact, you can leverage it in really useful ways that can have a real impact because it's different, right? Sending a text message, thank you, is very different in terms of what it's communicating as well as how it's received. And uh, and so we've integrated some, you know, some older techniques, but also um, some newer things in like videos and, and things like that as well to uh, to try to engage the different learning mindsets and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've a couple of times recently have received a handwritten note card in the mail. And yeah, that does stand out. That does make an impression. Um, you know, you, someone's going to ask, you, well, what's your mailing address? And then you're sort of tipped off. Well, what, what are they, <laughs> what are they sending me? But um, what, what is it? But, you know, and, uh, you know, Kindexus, a software company that uh, I've been involved with for a decade now, um, we've started sending to our webinar presenters um, a handwritten note and kind of a gift pack of some Kinexus branded things, a uh, t-shirt or a pair of socks or a coffee mug. And yeah, I think that gesture of um, the handwritten note and physical objects is, uh, yeah, kind of a nice, nice thing in this day and age. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, it's interesting, you mentioned the, the physical objects. I think I told you about this uh, a while back, but I think the um, one of the modernization we did, we actually 3D print um, some some little gear sets that, uh, that we give out to all of our uh, participants. And it's it's really meant to symbolize the those you mentioned about uh, job relations, job methods, job instructions. Um, those are the three skills that uh, that they taught supervisors about. Um, there's also the knowledge of work and um, and the knowledge of responsibility. So if you think about kind of those five as as sort of gears that uh, they're spinning around, and then on the outside we've got a what's called an internal gear. So that um, that outer gear is sort of symbolizing safety and thinking about how do we keep all of these. Uh, gears together and keep them spinning together. The uh, the real idea of this um, of this fidget spinner, if you will, it's three D printed, so it's all printed as one one piece, right? It's not separate parts that come together, and um, and these are the sort of the foundational things that uh, TWI was built on. And you know when you when you spin all the gears together and uh, and you see it sort of uh, you know for the people who are watching, they can sort of see right when it's all spun together all those gears are working well together. But if you're off balance, right? Sometimes you have a supervisor who got promoted because of their technical experience, for example. They're the best um, equipment operator we've got, so let's make them a supervisor. <laughs> yeah. If we don't give them the, the other tools that are needed, such as you know, how to deal with people, how to train people, how to, right? What is your, what is your responsibility? What technical knowledge do you need? And, uh, and are you concerned about the safety of your team? If we don't give them those tools and those skills as they get promoted, what happens is they, they kind of get off balance, right? So if we center everything around the knowledge of, of work, we'll call it, right? The whole gear set uh, goes off balance. And, uh, but we, we find that pretty often in organizations where uh, people's technical ability sort of promotes them to the next level. Sometimes we hear at the you know, you get promoted to your level of incompetence. <laughs> and, right. um, and and that's really what a lot of this is all about is, you know, how do you train people? How do you engage them in improving? How do you make sure they're safe and feel safe? How do you uh, engage them and communicate with them? Yeah. And uh, so that's that's really the core foundation of it. 
Yeah, and um, send me a picture of uh, that gear set, if you will, Ryan. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for people who are listening instead of uh, and not watching. Absolutely, that sounds great to see that. Um, so that brings up a really important point of this question of you know what happens when you're promoted to a supervisor, manager, leader role. Um, I've seen organizations. This happens a lot in healthcare. They get really burned by this assumption of, well, if somebody's good at their job, they must know how to train others. <laughs> and job uh, or TWI and you know job instruction helps make very explicit that we can teach people how to do this. If somebody's really good at their job, would we assume they know how to engage people in continuous improvement? That's where job methods comes in. Um, you know, can, can you talk about you know, how TWI is, is, is helpful or can I just talk more broadly about the problems that are faced when people get promoted and they're not equipped to deal with it properly? Absolutely. That's a, it's a great question. And, um, and it's, it's been a journey for me as well as a you know, father, right? I have four children and, and thinking about these types of things, right? I, I sometimes uh, put the mirror on myself and say, am I, uh, am I practicing what I'm preaching? Right? Uh, so the, the idea of how to train somebody, um, you know, sometimes we have a curse of knowledge. Sometimes we become sort of uh, so experienced in how to do something or what, you know, that we forget that not everybody else may have the foundation or the, um, you know, the, the key steps to sort of get to where we are. And so one of the questions I ask folks at the, at the very beginning of what we call performance development, the how to train other people is I say, how many of you have can, can say, right, I've told that person a dozen times what to do and they still don't do it right. How many of you say, I've shown that person a dozen times how to do it, and they still don't do it right, right? And almost everybody in the room will raise their hand, right? I've done it as a, I've done it in my life as a, as a manager. You know, I used to manage a shared service center in the Philippines, 180 people. And, um, and I'm sure looking back, right, I could find times where I just, you know, I kept telling somebody how to do something and it still didn't get done, Um so there's a difference between knowing how to do something and teaching someone how to do something. And, uh, and the, the process that TWI teaches us is, um, you know, a very structured process of not just showing them how to do it, not just teaching or not just uh, telling them how to do it, but actually engaging them in the process. Right. And it's not just that we engage somebody in doing, doing something once, but um, we want to engage them in doing it. And then we've got to have them show us how to do it. And they need to explain to us step-by-step step what they're doing, how the, you know, why they're doing it that way, which actually, that was another key learning for me is um, the job breakdowns that they taught in the 1940s didn't just say what should be done and how should it be done. They, they also included why. And I, I started reflecting on, you know, why did they do that, right? Why did they teach us, um, and, and somewhere along the line, we lost that, right? Most standard work today says what to do and how to do it, but it misses why should we do it that way? And, uh, and so, you know, when you get, so one of the things we've done is we've actually created a learning profile assessment, thinking about a person's individual senses and learning preferences. We've worked with a, a psychologist, Dr. Dave Niekamp, and we've created a learning profile assessment help the supervisors, help the managers, help the people that we're training. They take this assessment and they look at their own personal learning style, their own personal, you know, how do I learn? And then we ask them to look around the room at the other managers, the other leaders in the room and ask the question, what's different about how they all learn? So some people prefer reading, some people prefer, you know, watching a video, some people prefer doing, some people prefer, you know, um, you know, different, you know, different ways of, of, you know, listening or talking. And we want people to get to that recognition that the way you learned is not necessarily the way I learn. And so if you get a new employee coming into your office and you think, well, I love reading books, right? I, I read, I read Patrick Graup's book. I read all these books. Um, so I'm just going to give this new employee a bunch of books. Um, that could be a complete failure, in, in terms of, 
you know, they may be somebody who like loves watching YouTube videos or loves, you know, actually just hands on doing stuff or so. Yeah. So that, that really, you know, how do you learn and that awareness then, you know, kind of brings you the next step of how do you teach to people who learn with different styles than you might. And, uh, and so I think that connection is really important for folks. Yeah, that, you know, pointing to the differences in how people learn. Uh, I have no idea. I've never uh, been on TikTok. Is there somebody who owns Lean on TikTok? Like they are the go-to Lean person who is like doing what these the, little dances or, or whatever that is. I'm showing my my age. I'm not with it when it um, comes to TikTok. But um, but there's a really important point there. I, like to me, it goes back to W. Edwards Deming, who talked about the need for leaders to understand psychology. Deming emphasized treat every employee as an individual. That's we right. don't all have the same motivations. As you said, we don't all have the same learning styles or communication styles. And I, you know, I think we have to be really, really careful with that. Um, you know, thinking of, job methods or, or Kaizen practices. Um, I don't know if this ties directly into job methods, but you know, I think of the idea of giving recognition when right. people have participated and they've done some sort of um, improvement. And you would think, well, of course, everybody loves to be celebrated in front of their teammates and brought up in front of the group and given a handshake and way to go. Some people hate that. That's right. They do. Not, they feel embarrassed. They they want to do part, They want to participate in kaizen. But if you make them get up in front of a group of others, they'll hate you for it. And that's the, that's how they're wired. And I think you know Deming emphasized you can't just treat everybody as as cogs in a three D printed gear set. That's that's right. People are different. We got to respect that. I think that comes to the Toyota principle of respect for people. Absolutely. And, and that's where, you know, a, a lot of the lean principles, a lot of these lean concepts and ideas, um, we're building off of some of the, some of the TWI stuff, right? Um, and, and so the links are, are definitely there. And that's what, that's what really got me excited about this project, about the modernization, about, you know, it, it made me do some, I'll call it soul searching of, you know, what are the things I've been teaching and you know, have I been falling into some of these traps, right? Of, you know, the, the Kaizen event is all about the, the end result. Well, no, it's not really, right? We get, yeah, we want the result, but it's also about how do we engage people? And uh, as you mentioned, right, not everybody likes standing in the front of the room um, and, uh, and giving a part of the Kaizen report out, for example. Uh, they, you know, it, and, and it's not that they, don't want to help or they don't want to contribute or they disagree with what we've done. But sometimes folks just don't like speaking in front of a group. And uh, um, so it's, it's definitely an interesting perspective. Yeah. And, and I love how you, you know, emphasize this um, practice of explaining why, what are the key yeah. points? What are the reasons why? Sure. I think to me that connects back into respect for people. Absolutely. We're not just telling you to do it because we said so do it this way because we said so, but right. you're treating people like adults who can internalize why they're doing something. And I think when an organization has strong connections to purpose, for example, in healthcare, that purpose, you'd hope everyone would be aligned around um, not hurting patients. Mm -hmm. And so when you can go through a step in uh, a job instruction and remind people the key point, the reason for doing it this way is to avoid to avoid injury or infection or what have you. You know that that's that's really powerful. Um, yeah. If that purpose connection wasn't there, if that alignment wasn't there, it might not resonate the same way. But I, again, I think you're allowing people to make the choice to be adults who are doing the right things for the right reasons. That, that's right. And I think the, the other thing goes back to the, uh, the learning styles and the, and the psychologist piece of this, right? That um, if, if you tell someone uh, to, you know, to tighten that, make sure that every time you do this, you tighten that bolt, um, then we may have to tell them five or six times. If we tell them, you know, every time you do this, you have to tighten that bolt. And the reason why is that a vibration of the machine can make that bolt fall off and it could cause a catastrophic injury 
Right. All of a sudden you've engaged different parts of the person's brain, right? It's not just them watching me tell them, you know, do this or in the, in a healthcare example is similar thing, right? That if I just tell them you have to put on a gown every time you go into this person's room. Okay. Right. Now, do I remember to do it next time? I don't know. I'm going to a lot of patients' dreams, right? I actually worked in a hospital and back in college for a few years and it was a great experience, but um, when when you then explain why, right, that we need to reduce infection and you need to take that gown off so when you go into the next patient's room, you don't cross-contaminate, all of a sudden as an adult, we start thinking about it and recognizing, you're right, I don't want to cross-contaminate or bring some infection from one patient to another. And when our brains make that connection, it becomes incredibly more likely that we'll remember that and, um, and, and be able to repeat it. And so that just kind of goes back to when I asked those questions of all the managers or leaders sitting in my, in my training session, how many of you have said, I've told that person a dozen times and they still do it wrong. This is, this is a big part of the reason why, that if you haven't explained and you haven't had them explain back to you, why are they doing this? To, so you can make sure you validate that understanding. Um, if you don't do that step, if you skip it, um, then they may not remember it next time. They don't think it's important. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, let's stop train. Let's stop blaming the recipients of ineffective training. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. there, there's a, yeah, there's a slogan that kind of goes throughout all the TWI, right? If the, if the worker hasn't learned, then the trainer hasn't taught. And, um, and that puts the responsibility that puts the ownership for training on the person who's doing the training and, and a lot of people, a lot of managers, supervisors don't want to take that ownership, right? They want to blame, well, you know, ah, this new generation, I, you came and teach them how to sweep with a broom, right? Uh, you know, I don't know, right? I've, I've seen uh, I've seen some young folks who've got some really talented uh, abilities. Uh, you know, have we really engaged them and communicated with them in an effective way is, is the better question. But, but that means the supervisor and me as a trainer of training within industry, I also have to think about that, right? Uh, at the end of every session, I reflect on myself and I think, have the people that I just trained, have they, have they learned, right? Do they really understand that we, what we just did and how to apply it? Because if they don't, that's on me, right? That's not yeah. on them. Well, and I love how TWI emphasizes the need to close the loop to test for confirmation and of understanding, test for ability to actually do it. Like to me, it, it frames training is not just this linear, oh, I trained you, plan, do, it's not even a cycle, just plan, yeah. do. There's that check and adjust or study right. and adjust. Um, to, to, and, and I think this comes back to people being individuals. Some people will learn certain things more quickly than others. We can't treat them all the same. So, well, you all went through the same 30-minute class. Therefore, you should all understand equally well. Or especially thinking of physical activities. And, and some people are going to need repetition under the guidance of, of a coach. And, um, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity, again, to change some of these mindsets of blaming the person who was trained badly. And then when there's uh, – this this happens. This is notorious effect in um, – healthcare, um, then there's some sort of failure. And the, the person, okay, we're not blaming them. We're blaming the training. What's the countermeasure? We're going to retrain them, right? And so why, you know, if, if the training was ineffective the first time, maybe repetition helps, but I don't know if I would really trust that hypothesis. If I was going to be re, see somebody being retrained, let's test for confirmation now. Was That's the right. retraining effective? Are we training differently? than we did a year ago. That might be an argument for doing retraining, but yeah, so much opportunity to do better. That's right. Yeah, the con the confirmation piece, it's uncomfortable for people. One of the things that I've observed in uh, in leading these and facilitating these training sessions is that um, is that the 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 people in the room will often um, be very comfortable talking about, you know, how to do the job, right? To telling somebody how to do it. But, um, but getting that next step of getting them to, um, to say, okay, now you tell me, now I've trained you how to do it. Now you show me how to do it and why to do it that way. Uh, it was, it's a very uncomfortable thing, even in the training room. So 
So we have to repeat it a few times and get people comfortable doing it because when they go back out to the, you know, to the shop floor or to the, you know, the, the you know, the hospital or wherever they're working, um, they then have to do the same procedure. If they really want people to learn as effectively as they can, that means they need to teach and then have that validation, have that confirmation. So if they're not comfortable doing that in a the classroom, they're probably not going to do it in real life. And so we've got to, you know, we make sure to in- interject a few examples of where they've got to do that. And then they've got to get that confirmation back. And um, it's, it's an interesting exercise. We, for some reason, people are uncomfortable with it, but it's really critically important. And, um, and, and I would say even to the point, sometimes people, well, I don't really have time to do that, right? Um, I just have time to show them how to do it. Well, yeah, but you just raised your hand saying, I told them how to do it 10 times and they're still not doing it right. What that means is you've done the work 10 times, right? You don't have time to do it once right. You've got, to, you've got time to do it 10 times the wrong way though, right? And that, uh, you know, making that connection becomes really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe a final question for you, Ryan. Um, I know you've had the opportunity to work outside of healthcare with TWI. Um, TWI, even going back to World War II, was being used in healthcare. This is one thing I often pass along to the healthcare people. There are nursing journal articles from just after the war talking about how they used TWI to um, quickly ramp up um, different sectors of the health system. Like today, as we're trying to ramp up COVID vaccination, I think there's absolutely an application of TWI methodology as you know, people are being brought in as medical students or you know, retirees, so maybe some of them know how to give an injection, but there are certain elements of vaccination that are going to have certain key points. You know, why do we hold a patient for observation for 15 minutes? And why do we hold certain patients for 30? And why? And, and understanding some of that. Um, so I, I know we're in agreement that TWI is not just for industry or manufacturing, right. but what, what are some of your experiences and thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question, a great point, and um, so I would say going back, um, you know, five six years ago when I left industry, I left a manufacturing and consumer products company to start my the consulting business to start uh, effective performance strategies. I thought that almost all of my clients were going to be in manufacturing. Um, I thought this is where I've spent the last seventeen years of my career. Um, this is the type of industry that I know the most about. And the thing that I find today is that um, actually a, the largest percentage of my clients are not manufacturing anything. And, uh, and that, you know, you're right. People have this perception of TWI that it was manufacturing. Um, but just for example, some of the customers I've been working with in just the past couple of months are e- an e-commerce company, right, that uh, has some warehousing. And so they have some logistics, but it's an e-commerce company. I've got a, a general contractor, a you know construction company. We've got uh, a trucking company has been one of our greatest successes recently. Uh, so we've we're we're kind of even though I thought my specialty was going to be the industry that I had spent 17 years of my career in, most of my clients today are outside of that industry. Most of my clients are you know kind of all over the board in terms of services and technology and. Um, and different things. So, the so to your point, right? That TWI was used in healthcare. Um, I've I've seen it be successful in a wide variety of industries now, and uh, and it's a lot of fun to uh, to to approach things with a new set of eyes and a um, a new way of looking at things. And ironically, that new way of looking at things dates back seventy five plus years. <laughs> seventy five years old, and, and that's what I think we can learn from history, right? Those who yeah. fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And uh, and I think that was a truth that I learned as I started down this path. Yeah, we can respect the history and learn from it. And I also think of a phrase I've heard from uh, Toyota people: "Adopt and adapt." We can adopt TWI, and we can adapt it to the year twenty twenty one. We can adopt it and adapt it to trucking, healthcare, fast food, organization, um, whatever that whatever that setting is. So that's right. Just because something is old, you know, it's like, you know, you say, is it outdated? Well, in some ways, yes. But the fact that it's old doesn't mean uh, it's it's all bad. You can look and say elements of this are proven. 
That's so right. let's adopt and adapt. We I appreciate you know you you doing that work and kind of raising that concern or that that point that your client brought up of um, let let's be careful. Let's modernize some of this and not just teleport people back to the year 1944. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our guest again today has been Ryan Weiss. He is the president of uh, his firm, Effective Performance Strategies. You can find them online, epszone.com. And um, if people at some point will hopefully be able to have you come out and do barbecue. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. We love barbecue. We love process and we love people. So um, with, with the combination of all three, that's the, uh, we'll, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. So it's more of a, a Kansas city style barbecue. Yeah. So I, so I actually lived in Kansas city for uh, um, about six years and uh, it's one of, one of my favorite places to live. I ate yeah. way too much barbecue there. So <laughs> absolutely. And just as there are different flavors of improvement methodology with maybe a lot of commonality, you know, you could point to Texas barbecue, Kansas city barbecue, North Carolina, Carolina style barbecue. <laughs> what, what was that? Yeah. Carolina. Exactly. Memphis. Yep. You know, ribs are ribs, but they're prepared and cooked a little differently. Uh, a lot of places in Texas, they don't do pulled pork. Yeah. And then there's a lot of places outside of Texas. I don't know if I would trust the brisket. I'm pleasantly surprised <laughs> <laughs> when that's done well other places, but um, all right, well, I'm going to go find some barbecue. <laughs> Sounds good. You made me hungry I, now. Yeah, I don't think barbecue is in my lunch future, but um, hopefully in my near future. But Ryan, you know, thank you so much for having the conversation today. You know, I think you, you raised, um, you know, brought up a, a lot of great topics, made a lot of great points. So um, thank you again for doing that. Well, thanks for having me on, Mark. It was my pleasure. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Well, again, thanks to Ryan Weiss for being our guest today. You can find links and show notes online at leanblog.org slash 414. Uh, This is part of my new standard work now, I guess, to ask you to please follow, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be listening. And again, if you like the episode or if you like the podcast in general, please share it on LinkedIn, on social media, with colleagues, send a quick email, point them to the episode. That would be great. Also, I want to remind you that this podcast is part of a network that we call the Lean Communicators. You can find more, lots of great listening at leancommunicators.com. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.